listen, turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at uh, one of my favorite. What, you know, preachers say that about every other, every sermon, don't they? This is my favorite verse of Scripture in the New Testament. Well, they've got it. we've all got about 100 favorite New Testament Scriptures, and it's typically the ones that we're preaching on that Sunday. But this really is one of my favorite Uh, stories in the New Testament because it demonstrates a lot to us about the availability of God's Spirit to the body of Christ today. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, You know, several years ago, there was a young preacher and he was going to preach at a church and they were looking for a new pastor and he got up in the pulpit and he preached and preached a really fired up message and afterwards they took the young preacher to, to lunch and then they had a meeting and they said, Pastor, we were just so moved by God this morning that we really feel like we want to call you as our next pastor. And what we want you to do is we believe that, that if you'll agree to come and live by faith and pastor our church by faith, you're the man for us. He said, he thought something was a little funny about the way they phrased that. They said, well, what do you mean by you want me to come and live by faith? Well, pastor, we don't really want to pay you anything to come and be our pastor, but we figure if you'll just come and live by faith, if you can survive, we know that that's God's will for you. The young man prayed over for just real quick, and God gave him a word. He said, I tell you what, there's six of you, and you're all very uh, gainfully employed, wealthy men in the community, strong givers to this church, and so there's seven of us sitting around this table. Why don't we take you all six salaries, and then we'll add them all up and divide them by seven, and we'll all live by faith. Well, this morning, some of y'all are doing the math still in your head, and you're like, six divided by seven, and you'll get it when you're driving home. Somebody, the math wizards in the community congregation can help you out. But here's the thing. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to live by faith that over the last, uh, last four, uh, four hours that God has given me something good to share with you, all right? So we're just going to all gather together on faith this morning and look at God's Word. Here is what I want us to look at this morning. Uh, It is one of my favorite stories out of the New Testament. I want us to see how this passage of Scripture relates to us today, not just in in the church in general, but specifically to the people here at Solid Rock Baptist Church and how God's desire is to move in our midst in a fresh way. Because today we're looking at a story about the power of Jesus to heal. But the more compelling part of this story is, is to see the, uh, the, the, the impact of the ones who brought this man who had a tremendous need into the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to talk about. I want us to gain a fresh perspective on this passage of Scripture. You're in your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 5. I'm going to share with you real quickly, uh, verse 16 will begin. It says, On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Now I want you, if you're one of those underliners, I want you to go ahead and get your pen out and underline that part of that scripture. The Lord's power to heal, it was where? It was in him. And verse 18, just then some men came carrying on a mat, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. 
Now, that's where I want to stop for just a second. That's where we're going to kind of launch off into this message this morning. You, you see, what I want us to look at real quickly is this morning, Jesus was in a house, and he was teaching a, a, a rather, I wouldn't say a rather large group of people initially because they were just inside of a house. And the, the houses or homes of, the, of that particular period of time, they were not large, elaborate structures uh, as we live in today. I mean, what you think, you may live in a modest home today, it would be considered a castle in comparison to the homes of that day. So there's a group of people and they're packed into a home. And it says in this passage of scripture, basically, the, the place was packed. There wasn't an empty seat in the house, and it basically was a standing room only kind of situation. And as you kind of uh, deduce from looking into this passage of Scripture, they knew that Jesus was there, and word began to spread throughout the community that Jesus, the Messiah, had showed up in town, and people began to gather, and they would get their friends as they were going to the place, say, look, Jesus is in town. You need to come. We want to go and see what this man uh, looks like, what he sounds like, hear what he has to say. We already hear there's a group of spiritual folks over there. The Pharisees are there. So look, let's go over and there might be a pretty good show if we go today. You know, some people show up at church just to see the show. Amen. But, but here's a group of folks. And they said, look, let's go and, and let's see what's going on. There's something else uh, that I want us to look on when, when we go in our houses today, uh, when we, we, we walk out the door, and the first thing that we remember to do before we leave is to do what? Lock the door. And then when you get home in the afternoon, you unlock your door, and you go in, and you close the door behind you. And typically, what do most of us do when we go in the house and close the door? What? We lock the door. Why? Because we want to keep people out. Now, the thing that you need to understand, in this particular era... When in the morning when you would get up, you would open the door to your home, and guess what? It would stay open all day long. Now, that's a little bizarre, isn't it? I mean, we can't even comprehend just leaving. Remember back in the good old days? Some of you uh, are old enough to remember when you'd wake up in the morning, you'd open your door up, and you'd leave the screen door. You know, the screen door would be open, you know, and it'd be unlocked, and people would come in, and you wouldn't even knock on the door. You'd just walk up to the screen door and say, hey! You in there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I used to go to my grandmama's house, and we'd get. she had one of those old wooden doors with a screen in it, you know? And we'd, I'd just walk up to the door. I never even stopped at grandma's house. You know, you just ran on in. And, and I grew up in that community understanding that whenever you showed up to somebody's house, you just ran on in, you know? And I did that one time to one of our neighbors that wasn't used to people just running on in. And they were like, what are you doing in my house? And I thought, I'm... Thought you just ran on in, you know. Well, back in this particular period of time, when the doors were opened up, there was an assumption that the only that when, once your door was open, people could come in. It was a communal type situation. You're welcome just to come on in. And if you had the door closed, uh, you were basically saying, "Look, you're not. Nobody's welcome. Something's going on in here that we don't want you to know about." Right. So they would just leave the doors open, nothing to hide, everyone's welcome, you come on in. So Jesus showed up, and everybody just started coming on in. The first people that were there would just walk in and that, why Jesus is here, we need to get there hurry, in a hurry so we can get up close to him. And what I want you to understand, and that something that is very vital to this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, is that passage of Scripture uh, there in verse 17 in that specific phrase, and the Lord's power to heal was in 
him. Now, as we stop and look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus is beginning to preach in this house. And the very first thing that that we notice is Jesus was the man filled with power. He was the man with power. And the Scripture goes to great lengths. I mean, it is specifically pointed out here that Jesus, not only was he in the house, not only were there people gathering to hear what he had to say, but he was filled with power. Power was on him. Power was in him. And he was there in the crowd filled with power. And all of these people began to come, and they did, including the Pharisees, the educated men of their day, the folks with the spiritual PhDs of the Old Testament. And they began to show up, and Jesus was teaching. But here's the thing. He wasn't healing anybody. He wasn't doing anything supernaturally. He was simply there with the power to heal, but he wasn't healing. He was simply teaching. Now, here's Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah. There's a large crowd that is gathering around him. They're packed into the house. It says specifically that he's teaching, but nobody's asking him for healing. It says specifically that he's communicating, but nobody is coming to him with any specific request. Uh, Nobody in the crowd was desperate enough to cry out for help of any kind from Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who was right there in front of them. But nobody was desperate enough to cry out for healing. And that's so vital for us to understand because that verse of Scripture specifically says, what? The power to heal was in Him. Guys, say that with me. The power to heal was in Him. Say it again. The power to heal was in Him. Now, what we need to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture is here's Jesus. The power to heal is in him. And we we see nobody crying out to the Messiah in this particular environment. And the thing that I want to drive home to you first thing this morning on this beautiful, crisp, cool Sunday morning is that passage of Scripture and what it tells us about that gathering there that specific day with Jesus having the full anointing of God on him and the power to heal is on him and here the people are gathered and nobody is desperate enough to cry out to God to do anything supernatural in their lives and what I want to tell you this morning is it sounds a lot like the church today I thought y'all came early in the morning for a word do you hear what I said The fact that there was a large crowd gathered around Jesus, the Messiah, and he was filled with the supernatural anointing, and he had the power to do transformational, supernatural, miraculous things. That's why the people had gathered, because they heard Jesus was in town. They had heard the stories. They had heard what he was able to accomplish supernaturally, things that nobody had ever seen before, things that they had only heard about from generations past. And here's Jesus filled with the power to heal and they've gathered around and nobody is crying out in desperation. And what I'm telling you today in 2014, as we very much reflect the nature of that gathering of people that morning in that we do not seem desperate enough 
to come into the presence of God with hearts open wide, broken hearted, ready, willing, crying out to God with a fervor, God, I am here today. And I desire to sense the powerful anointing of your spirit. God, I'm here today and I am broken and I am hurting. And God, I am desperate for you to do something in my life. And that too much is an indicator of where the church is in our generation. Man. Listen, we have become, and worship service for us, I believe, and I'm fearful of, has become a sit and soak experience. We like to come and sit on a nice padded pew, and we like to listen to great music and and great singing, and we like to enjoy anointed preaching, and and we've just come for the show, and we want to soak it all up. And we go out and we say, man, what a great worship service. What a great message. What a great, what a great testimony and song this morning from the soloist. What a great, what a great job the band did today. I mean, that, that's a scary looking group of guys that sits up here, by the way. I mean, nobody gets out of hand when these fellows are up here picking and grinning, do they, huh? They're good. But listen, what God desires of the church in our generation is that we become desperate again for the anointing of the Spirit of God. Listen, we underestimate the the power of the Spirit of God, God's ability to intervene in our lives. I mean, we don't realize how desperately we need Jesus to come into our lives. We talk about it a lot. We, We come and sit in Sunday school classes, and we nod our heads in agreement and say, yeah, we need that, we need that. But here's the thing. Do you know what our biggest problem today in the church is? It's not even the fact that we're not desperate enough for the Spirit of God. The biggest problem that we have in our churches today is our own sinful pride. Why? Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not even talking about arrogance. I'm talking about pride. Pride that hinders us from coming into the presence of God and crying out to God in desperation that we're in tremendous need of God to do something different, of God to change something in our lives, of God to come in and completely remake what is going on. We, we need to come into the church and drop our pride and drop our, our, our guardedness and say, Father God, I'm coming here today as a broken vessel. I'm coming here today as, as a spouse who desperately needs you to redo something in my marital relationship. I'm coming here today as a parent, and Father God, my heart is broken over my children, and and, and it may not even be the fact that they've done anything wrong. You are just wanting God to pour out an anointing of covering and protection around them, and you're just broken for them, and you see what's going on in our society, and Father God, I'm desperate that you just pour out your anointing on my family, and God, pour out your spirit and your covering over my children, and God, I'm coming to you today, and I'm just desperate. God, I need healing. God, I need physical healing. God, I need clarity. God, I need you to renew my purpose and my vision for my life. God, I just need to know that you've placed a calling on me. And God, I am desperate today for something different than the monotony of what I've been doing with the things that you've given me day in and day out. And God, I'm ready for a fresh anointing and personal revival. And guys, the thing that keeps us from doing that is our own pride. 
And we have bought into this lie. And I'm telling you, it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I mean, Satan has fed us this bill of goods that says, look, you don't want anybody else to know that you're struggling. You don't want anybody else to know that you're confused. You don't want anybody else to know that you have doubt. You don't want anybody else to know that sometimes your faith is weak. And we have bought into that bill of goods in the church today. And what we call it, 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 you know, it's, it's not even holier than thou. It's just, I want you to think that I'm holier than you. And really, I'm dying inside. And Satan has convinced me that if I admit that, I will look weak. Do you know what? That's what we are. We are desperate. We should be in need. We should be able to communicate to one another our weaknesses, our struggles, our fears, and our failures, and come into the presence of God, come into the house of God. And this should be a safe place where we can come in and and come to the altar and cry out, Father God, I am hurting, and I am desperate, and I need you. And you are the one with the power. And when we get to that point in the church where we drop down all of our barriers... That's when God shows up and pours out his anointing on us. Because look at this. This crowd is pressing in on Jesus. He's got the power to heal more than just physical problems, but even the spiritual. The power to heal and forgive sin was on him. And you know what? It still is. And here they show up and look at not only Jesus was the man with the power, but look at the guy with the problem. It says out of this whole community... There was one guy that was lucky enough that he had four friends concerned enough and desperate enough to to move him beyond where he was into the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, take a note. This guy's problem was so obvious that people talked about, man, I tell you, wish wish the cripple guy, I, I bet the cripple guy wished that he could get to Jesus. Too bad he can't get there. I mean, people no doubt walked by and they're talking, you know, imagine somebody's going, hey, did you hear Jesus there? Hey, listen, buddy, Jesus is here. I'm going to see him, going to hear what he has to say. But there were four people in the community that were concerned enough, compassionate enough to look on him in his palsy, in his inability to get to where Jesus was, and they probably had a little huddle. Don't you think so? They probably said, you know, Jesus is here. And this wasn't something that they had a committee meeting about. You hear what I'm saying? They didn't meet for six months to decide what they were going to do. Sounds a lot like Baptist churches. Right? Some of y'all are in here, I'm on a committee. That's not how we do. Listen, they didn't have a meeting. They they had a get-together. And they didn't have a big committee meeting. They didn't take draw straws. They didn't poll the crowd. Listen, they got together and they said, look, Jesus just showed up in town. Our friend over here who has the inability to walk, he, he drags his mat out and is placed there during the day and he basically begs from everybody, we need to get him to Jesus. And they said, okay, let's go. We don't, let's, not, let, let's just go move and pick him up and get him into the presence of Jesus. So here's this guy, his problem, it was so obvious that he couldn't keep it a secret. I mean, we think that as long as something is a secret, we don't have to deal with it, Right? And here's this guy, his problem was so apparent to everybody that that basically they said, you need Jesus. And what we do in the church today is we like to cover up our flaws. We like to cover up our imperfections. We like to cover up our faults and and all of our hindrances and our weaknesses. And if anybody ever comes to us and says, look, I notice you've been struggling. Our very first thing, no, we're not. 
I went to somebody one time and I knew they were having problems in their marriage. And I went up to the husband and I said, listen, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And, and he said, what are you praying for me about? I said, look, I, I, know, you know, I know things have been kind of, stru- you've been struggling a little bit in your relationship. And at this point I was on guard. I thought, well, maybe I got this wrong. And I said, well, I, you know, I've kind of heard, I didn't want to say from your wife, but I, I said, I've kind of heard that you're struggling. I just want to let you know I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. He said, we're not struggling. Everything's fine. Do you know, we have this incredible spiritual technique that we use in the church. And it's spelled, if you want to write it down, you'll look it up later. It's spelled L-I-E. That's lie for you vocabulary scholars. You know, we want, we've gone from math all the way to vocabulary. And it's not even common core either. I mean, I'm just, you know, just straightforward. All right, here's the thing that we need to understand. Our spiritual technique when confronted about our weaknesses in the church is we simply lie about it. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. I don't need, you know, know, pray for somebody else that has real problems. Things are great. And what we do is we convince ourselves, Satan convinces us that nothing's wrong. And what we need to do is come to grips with the fact that we desperately need Jesus to show up in the midst of our situation with great power, great restoration and renewal and do something to bring about transformation. So here's this crowd gathered around the house. So many people, there's no telling how many, how many were gathered, but it was deep. I mean, it was thick. They were pressed into the door just to hear what was being spoken about inside. And these men, and we know the story, they took their friend on the pallet up to the roof. And this was a flat roof. It's not like the roofs that we have on our homes today. It was a flat roof, and it was made out of mud and packed together clay and sticks, and, and, and grass would grow up on the roof. And, and it, was just, it was just common stuff that they could put together. And they went up on the roof, and they said, you know, what are we going to do to get this guy to Jesus? We can just dig through the roof. And it was a messy procedure. So they began digging and dirt and sticks and grass was falling in on Jesus and all of these spiritual scholars that were inside. And they, they just began to dig. And finally a little hole opens up and they see through there. And you can almost picture the crowd looking up at them in this hole opening up in this mud ceiling. And they've got dirt and they're kind of shielding their eyes because the dirt and the, the grass and the sticks and everything is falling down from this hard packed clay roof. And they finally see the, the sunlight coming through. And these four jokers looking down through the hole going, Hey! What are these fools up here on the roof doing? And they lowered their friend into the presence of Jesus. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we have to get a little dirty in order to get where Jesus needs us, right? I mean, sometimes it's the dirt that keeps us from coming to Jesus because we like to lie about it and hide it and say the dirt's not there. But sometimes we've got to work through some stuff in order to get into the presence of Jesus where He desires for us to be so He can do the real work of transformation. And here's the lesson. And write this down. You'll never receive the power of Jesus in your life if you don't seek for it. That is, I mean, that's transformational right there, isn't it? 
I mean, you're never going to receive transformation and power from Jesus Christ unless you seek for it. These guys weren't just desperate for themselves. They were desperate for their friend. And they did everything in the world they could do to get him into the presence of Jesus. Why is that, why is that transformational? Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me. Does anybody know what the rest of that says? With all your heart. You'll seek for me. And the time, the minute that you're going to find me is when you're seeking for me with everything that you are. What that verse of scripture could really say is, listen, if you really want me, if you really want to experience the fresh anointing and the power that I have readily available for you, when you start seeking me with desperation, then you'll find it. Man. So they tore the roof apart. But here's the thing I want you to catch, and we'll be done. The first thing that Jesus noticed about these men, it says that he saw their faith. Did you catch that? He saw, verse 20, seeing their faith. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Seeing their faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Was it the faith of the four men or the faith of the man on the pallet? Here's something that I want to drop on you real quickly. Was it the faith of the four men or the faith of the man on the pallet? Does anybody know? This is one of those questions that you can ponder over lunch today. Jesus said, seeing what, whose faith? It says, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. And then he spoke a word to the man on the pallet. He said, your sins are forgiven. Listen, how many of you people in here today know somebody that's lost? Anybody? If you don't, you're not hanging around enough folks out of church. Somebody told me one time, said, the longer I've been in church, the fewer sinners I know. I said, well, then you have a problem. And they looked at me and said, well, I thought that was the whole goal of it. I said, no, actually, I said, the goal, at least if you read Scripture, is God has anointed you and gifted you and given you a command and a vision to reach out to the people outside the church. You come to church to be fueled up and fired up and fed with the Word of God and trained up so you can go out into the masses and share the love of Jesus Christ and the transformational message that comes through the blood of the cross. So if you don't have any lost friends, you need to get to work and find some. Amen? Because in this passage of Scripture, Jesus, the verse of Scripture very clearly says, and we can't overlook it, seeing their faith. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. 
These four men were not only desperate enough for themselves to get into the presence of God, but they were desperate for the situation that their friend was in. Do you catch that? They were desperate for their friend. How many lost people are you desperate for? How many neighbors that are going through a difficult time in their marriage are you truthfully broken over? How many neighbors of yours who have children that have kind of gone off the beaten path and done some things that are not, they're not living the way they should be living, how broken are you for them or is it another opportunity to gossip about those poor people down the road? Huh? Am I stepping on toes? You see, God's desire for the church is not only that we would be desperate for ourselves, but that we would be so broken and desperate for the people around us that our hearts would literally ache. When these four men found out that Jesus was in town, do you notice that at least one of them, his first thought was not for himself, but his first thought was for the man who was unable to get to Jesus. And his first action was to go find his friends and say, look, we need to get him to Jesus. That's the desperate heart for the lost world around him. Guys, we need that in the church today. So Jesus saw their faith. And the last thing. We spend most of our life involved in the physical realm of things. We worry about money. We worry about possessions. I mean, we spend most of our time concerned about enjoying life, reducing stress, making our life easier. Millions of people are going to die with healthy bodies, big bank accounts, and great memories of a wonderful life, and then, boom, spend eternity in hell. Guys, listen. Today, as a church, we need to ask ourselves two things real quickly. What is it in my life that I'm desperate about? Understanding the reality of the fact that Jesus can and still does pour out His power on the body of Christ today. What is it today that I need God to show up in the midst of in my life? If I was brutally honest, and if I wasn't worried about what the person sitting next to me would think, if I was, if I was brutally honest, and I would just rush to this altar, what is it, where, what area do I need Jesus to show up in such power today? Is it in your relationship? Is your, is your heart desperate for God to give you wisdom and renewed vision? Are you here this morning and your heart is broken for your children? Is there some, or simply you've just lost that passion that you once had for Christ? Not just coming to worship to be entertained, but to come into the presence of God and just to outpour into the presence of God everything that you are for His glory. Maybe there's somebody this morning and you're sitting here and you are desperate for them. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. These four men were so moved 
But they went and got their friend and brought him into the presence of Jesus. Who is it in your life today that your heart is broken over because of their spiritual condition, because of their emotional condition, because of their family situation? Who is it in your life today that you're desperate for? And you're desperate to see Jesus show up in such a way that it completely transforms their lives and transforms the way that you look at your life as an act of service and worship and reverence to the King of Kings. Guys, I don't know how y'all typically do the invitation, but see, they're already moving. That's all it takes right there. They're good. Listen, I'm just going to ask this morning, and I'm done. We're going to wrap up, and and I'm on time. Look at that. Write that down. What's today's day? That's I have to tell people. Finish right on time. Listen, we need to ask ourselves in the church today these serious questions. What is the LIE that I'm telling everybody? What's the lie? What is it that I'm covering up? Because listen, if I know you and you're like me, I've got stuff. 